today what I'm going to do is give just an overview of the main summary, the main argument, the overview of the whole thing. I think this will help us encapsulate it, okay? So it's going to go in three parts. Children have always been a part of God's assembly, God's ecclesia. Do you all know that word? God's church. Children have always been a part of it, right? They've always been included. They've always been members, okay? Nothing in the New Testament ever changes that. Nothing is ever said to revoke that status of children. In fact, the Bible says in the New Testament, time and time again, that children have a unique status when they're born to, to children of believers. Right? And church membership, the initiatory, the initiatory right of church membership is water baptism. Right? Um, akin to circumcision in the Old Covenant in the old administration of the covenant. All right, so that's the main argument. Let's look into it. Children have always been a part of God's assembly. Abram, we know this one from Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, when God made covenant with Abraham. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant. The covenant that he established with Abraham is everlasting The blank page between the Old and the New Testament does not cancel this out, okay? All those in covenant with Abraham were not um, broken off and destroyed, and then a new thing started up. The unbelievers were taken out, and the Gentile believers were grafted in, right? It stays, and the children are a part of that covenant. Paul says in Galatians very clearly that that covenant is our covenant, It's essentially the same, though it was expanded throughout time. Um, Lot, Genesis chapter 19, verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. See, when God calls people, He calls their children with them. He really does. When He called Abram out of Ur, He called him and his wife, his whole household, all his bondservants, right? All his maidens. When he called Lot out of Sodom, he called Lot and his whole household. When he calls Lydia and the Philippian jailer, right? And every other individual that was baptized except the Ethiopian eunuch and Paul for obvious reasons. He calls them with their families. Cornelius, he calls them out of darkness into this marvelous light, into covenant with him, into the church, into the new assembly, and he brings the children with them. He is not saving individual units. He's saving families. He's saving nations. He's a covenantal God. He doesn't deal with us merely individualistically. Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Noah believed. He built an ark. Who went on the ark? Noah and his household. Didn't leave the children behind. Genesis 7 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me. In this generation. Who's righteous? Noah. Who goes on the ark? Noah and his household. Okay? Israel. What um, Acts chapter 7 verse 38 calls the ecclesia in the wilderness. Ecclesia is normally translated what in the New Testament? Church. It literally means the called out ones. But they are called into an assembly. Ecclesia is translated church. And that's a terrible mistake in my opinion. That goes back to... Um, Roman errors, right? Um, Ecclesia means assembly or gathering. Sometimes it's translated in your New Testament Bibles as assembly. Sometimes it's translated as church, and I think this is a mistake. 
The ecclesia is the ecclesia. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 38, we have a mention of the ecclesia in the wilderness. And that included the men, the women, and the children, right? The church in the wilderness who ate from the rock, drank from the rock and ate the bread from manna and participated in the Lord's Supper with Jesus, the children were included. Right? The children have always been in the church when they are born to church folk. Joel chapter 2 verse 16 says, gather the people. What people? The consecrated people, the people of God that we are grafted into, amen, that we're a part of. Gather the people. Consecrate the congregation. Right? It's a consecrated congregation. You know what consecrate means? To set apart for holy usage. It's like when you have fine china back in the day, when you had fine china, and you only brought that out for special occasions. Right? You don't, you, or whenever, whatever fancy thing you bring out for your special guests, that's consecrated. It's set apart for a unique purpose. This is the consecrated congregation. Assemble the elders. There's the hierarchy of the congregation. Gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom, Jesus, leave his room and let the bride her chamber. They assemble together. The very next verse, look at what it says. Between the vestibule and the altar. That's temple language, worship language, gathering language. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, because in the old covenant administration, the priests had to... Uh, represent the people. In the new covenant administration, we shall all know him from the least to the greatest. And we no longer need the priest to teach us, know thy, know the Lord. We all can know him and have unique access. And so he says, let the priest in this time and say, spare your people. So the people of God, the consecrated congregation are also your people, O Lord, and make not, and they are your heritage, a reproach, a byword among the nations. They are your nation, why should they say among the peoples, they are your people, where is their God? You see, included in the church, included in the ecclesia of God, has always been even the nursing infants. God has a flock. That means he has rams and ewes. And when a lamb is born to a ewe, he claims that, that lamb as his own. That, that lamb is consecrated to him. No, no shepherd would ever kick the lambs of his flock out of the flock. The whole point is to grow the flock. Right? You're trying to grow the flock. <clears throat> so, summary. When God calls out a people for himself, he calls parents with the children. He claims the legacy. The legacy of that family is now his legacy. If you're a bond slave and you're born into a master's house, then what? Your children born to you belong to the same household. When Abraham had bond slaves, his, what we might think of as employees maybe today, when they had children, they were born in the same household. Abraham had responsibilities to them, and they had responsibilities to him. All right? Makes sense. Hopefully you see that particular point. Um, <clears throat> nothing in the New Testament changes the status of children. Nothing changes the status. In fact, children are explicitly included. What does Jesus say of the little children? Bring them to me. And he touched them and he blessed them. And he said, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Paul said very clearly, not to leave your spouse if they're not a Christian, because a marriage between a Christian and a non-Christian, the children are wholly unclean because of that status. God has special blessings for them. They are covenant people. They have access to his throne. They're not out. They're not strangers. 
This is why we teach our children to pray to Jesus and to confess our sins to Jesus. And why we tell our children covenantal declaration. As for me and this household, kid, we serve the Lord, and the Lord has a law, and you violated that law, and that's why you're spanked. You're spanked for violating the law, not of you, the law of Jesus, because it's a covenantal household. And then he can, you say to that kid, there's a promise though, there's good news. If you violate this law as a covenant breaker, Jesus Christ bore the curses of the covenant on your behalf. You can claim his blood. You can believe on him. Why did Jesus die? He died for my sins, daddy. That's right. They're, all the promises are for them. That's why you tell them that. You call them to repent because the promises are for them. Okay? <clears throat> now, church membership... Being a part of the covenant people in the old covenant was um, ritually designated by a circumcision of the, of the male, right? When the father was called out, the head of the household, all the sons got the same sign as the dad, right? That's what happened to Abraham and all the men in the whole household and the babies, the baby boys. Now, in the new covenant, though, we see a, a, a shift from that. And we don't have proof text. It's hard. It's, it's an argument that has to be, you have to really think through it. But when Jesus said to go out to the Gentile nations, what did he tell us to do? Disciple them and baptize them. It does not say disciple and baptize individuals of the nations. It says disciple and baptize the nations. And the nations is a collective noun that includes what? It includes children. So if you do want a proof text, there's that one right there. It would be very similar if I said disciple and baptize the families. You would assume that means kids too. It's the same. Baptize and disciple the nations, the ethnos. That just means the Gentiles, the Gentile nations. Right? <clears throat> so when the Gentiles are brought into the assembly, who was the first Gentile brought in? In Acts. Cornelius, right? Cornelius. What was the first baptism recorded in the New Covenant? Under the New Covenant period of time, what was the first baptisms that took place? The day of Pentecost, right? He said 3,000 were added to that day. What did Peter tell them to do? Repent and be baptized. Why? For the promises are you, for you, and for your children. Now, why would that particular crowd be concerned about that? Remember what they said at the foot of the cross? Pilate washed his hands and said, his blood's not on me. And they said, that's fine. His blood, his murder is on us. It was a covenant vow. It was a maledictory oath is what it's called, bringing down a curse upon oneself. And they said, and his blood be on us and our children. So when Peter said, you did the unthinkable, you murdered your Messiah. And now God has testified of his validity by raising him from the dead. And he has ascended and he is seated on high on the throne of David. And they were cut to the heart. We killed our king. We killed the Messiah. Could you imagine the weeping and the tears? It was over for them. And they said, what can we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. Because the promises are for you and for your children. Right? That's the reason why they repented and they were baptized. The baptism was a sign of their new status as coming out from among that old generation, right? that wicked and perverse generation. It was a sign of their status shift of being guilty and condemned to being forgiven and for receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. So we see that in the first New Testament believers. 
in the, in the renewal of the covenant, or the, in the expansion of the covenant, which is the new covenant, baptism becomes the initiatory sign right there at Pentecost. Then we go to the first Gentile, Cornelius, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And what do they say? Then why should we withhold baptism? They received the Holy Spirit just as we did. They received the promises of the new covenant, and so immediately Cornelius was baptized. And who else? And his whole household. That's right. Then they go to the Gentile lands. They go to Antioch, and they see Lydia. And Lydia believes. And who's baptized? Her and her whole family. Because they're in, entering into this new assembly, this new covenant assembly. The floodgates are opened, and the Gentile nations are pouring in. And as the Gentiles come into the city of God, into the assembly of his people, into the holy consecrated people, into Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, as they come in, they are given a visible sign of that entrance into the, to the kingdom, into the city of God. And it's a ritual sign, Right? And it's a sign of your new status. You are now a recipient of the promises. Not only you, but your legacy. This is what's happening in the, in the story of the New Testament. <clears throat> Everyone added to the church gets the ritual. And when a baby is born in a covenant family, that baby is born into the covenant and into the covenant assembly. And so he's given the initiatory ritual. He's given the sign. Right? He's not good just like he is. He needs the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? He needs the promises of God to save him. So, but, you see, here's the problem. Including children in the covenant promises um, has caused people a lot of consternation over the years. The family has been under attack a lot longer than you realize, guys. The covenantal understanding of the world has been under attack for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Um, Since the 1500s, really. Secularism, the Enlightenment, individualistic concept of the world, right? Man's autonomy. This has been a thing that's been going on for hundreds of years. And so this particular idea of, of consecrating the children has been constantly under attack. And one of the ways that it's attacked is by saying, Pastor, you cannot argue from the Old Testament to the New. It's two different things. That was the old people of God. They did things their way. Now there's a new people of God. And unless we see an explicit verse in the New Testament, we're not adding them in. See, that's a problem, though. What we should say is, unless we see some status change, unless Jesus, who is the Lord of the covenant, he's the Lord of the covenant in the Old Testament, he's the Lord of the covenant in the New Testament, he's the Lord of the covenant in that blank page between. He's always the Lord of the covenant. Unless the Lord of the covenant says the terms are different, the blessings are different, it stays. Right? At no point are the children said to be excluded from the promises. As the promises expand and the door is open for the Gentiles, Nowhere does it say children are now cut off. That's why there's no explicit mention of it in the New Testament. It would have been unthinkable for anyone who for thousands and thousands of years assumed that if you're born into the master's household, you're in the master's household. So, consider all the things they had in the Old Testament that we have too. Listen to this. Did they have a Bible? Y'all just say yes after all of these. Did they have a Bible? This will help you wake up. Who gave them that Bible? Jesus. Did they have a place for worship? Did they have laws from God? Did they have church services with Bible reading, prayer, praise, and music? Yes. And worship instruments? Yes. Mm -hmm. Did they have public teachers that called them uh, to repent that were called by God? 
Did they have faith and repentance? Did they have external ordinances? Yes. Uh, did Jesus love them? Did Jesus direct all of it? Yeah. Were infants a part of it? <laughs> when Jesus was born, he was born into it. He was born in membership. He was given the sign of that membership. Right? He was recognized as a child of the covenant. When Jesus preached, where did he preach? In their assemblies. Synagogue, synagogue means what? Assembly, <laughs> gathering place. Sin, with, right? Jesus put the kids in, in the Old Testament, and he never took them out. Never took them out. When Jesus went to the temple, what did he call it? Among other things, he called it my own house. All right. Since they are in, they should receive the sign of being in. That's all. Just like Cornelius, just like the 3,000 at Pentecost, just like Lydia and her family, just like Gaius, Stephanus, just like every other one of them. Right? Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. I'm going to read this for you. This, I wanted to put all of this. This is so beautiful. I just cannot believe I missed Isaiah 60 all my life. Where's Isaiah 60 been all my life? It is beautiful. Right? Jesus, when he came, he expanded the ecclesia of God. He expanded the assembly to include the ethnos. Wow, what a mystery. The Jews didn't like that very much. Remember, they threw him, tried to throw him off a cliff for saying such. Right? He didn't destroy his people and start a new one. That's all scratch. New rules now, guys. And the new rules, less people are included. And your children, they're also not included. No, that never happened. It's the same assembly. I submit that in history, these ideas emerged as an attack on what I'm trying to say, as an attack on God's beautiful covenant for planet Earth. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Listen, arise, shine for your light. He's speaking to Israel, okay? The true people of God, not ethnic Israel, not get, we, our brains are so filled with this two people of God mush. Arise, shine for your light. The people of God, your light has come. What's that? Who's that? For light has come. That's right. John says it, right? That's the incarnation. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you like the sun rising in the east. That's the Messiah has come. Let's listen to some of these things. You've got to read Isaiah 60 later. Look at, look at verse 3. In light of that, nations shall come to your light. Ethnos shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, O people of God, Israel. And see, they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Wow. Heirs, sons. And your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Some would translate this, and your daughters shall be carried on your hip. Let's continue. I got a few. Verse 9. For the coastlands shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first. Does anyone know where Tarshish was? That's probably Spain. That's where Jonah tried to run off to. He says, the ships of Tarshish, which in their mind is the farthest um, the world went, okay? 
Jonah was trying to go as far as he could from Jerusalem, right? He says the ships that Jonah fled on to get out of here, they're all coming in first from the coastlands, from the farthest reach of their imagination. They're coming in to bring your children, heirs, covenant kids from afar, their silver and their gold with them. Wow, look at that. All the, all the treasures are, of tribute are coming into the king. For the name of the Lord Yahweh, your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. 11, your gates shall be open continually. Is he talking to the earthly Jerusalem? No, it was destroyed by Jesus. He's talking about the heavenly Jerusalem. Is he talking about ethnic Israel? No, he's talking about the true Israel. All those who have faith, just as Abraham did, day and night the gates will not be shut that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. Nations are coming in with their covenantal heads, their kings marching in, bringing in blessings to the city of God, to the holy Jerusalem. Verse 12, for the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. This is what Jesus is doing. He's bringing the nations into his people. His assembly isn't canceled and then a new one started. He's adding the ethnos into his assembly. You see, verse 14, and this is amazing. The sons of those who afflicted you, the sons of your persecutors shall come bending low to you. He's converting the nations. He's converting the sons of persecuted, persecutors. And all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the city on a hill, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. That is the ecclesia of God. It was a small little thing for years in its elementary stage. And when the Messiah came, the gates were flung open and the nations are coming in. And nowhere did it ever say, but not the children. No, when he saves a, a Gentile, he saves them and he claims their legacy. Because he's saving the world. Because he has taken over history. You see this? You see the connection? If he only saves individual units, like plucking brands out of a fire, then the whole world is burning. And most everyone's going to hell. But if he saves legacies, dynasties, if he has a plan for multi-generational covenantal salvation, you can see why the world is not going to burn up. It's not plucking brands from a fire. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that billions and billions and billions and billions of people aren't going to hell for all eternity. The world's going to be saved. Billions and billions and billions are going to heaven. If the church would believe the gospel. Right. Unbelievers in the, in, the, in the judgment on Israel, when Jesus came and he looked at the Jews of his day, what did he call them? You are not of your father Abraham. You're of your father the devil. Why? Because they didn't believe on him. Unbelievers are broken off, right? Romans chapter 11. The olive tree is not cut down. The unbelievers are broken off and the Gentile believers are grafted in. It's still the same people of God. This is why we can read the Old Testament and it's our book. We can read the promises of the Old Testament. They're our promises and they are to our children 
as it said over and over and over and over again. You see, there came a point in church history where they separated the old and the new. And they said, no more. It's Israel, ethnic Jews, and the church. It's two ecclesias and two plans of salvation. That error has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the net result of that is that our children have been kicked out of the covenant. So that the only place you don't find children belonging is in a church and in hell. Because everyone, nobody believes babies go to hell, but they don't get to be members of the church. No, 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 no. So if all of this that I'm saying is true, then we would expect when the New Testament opens up to see a whole bunch of families getting baptized. Wouldn't we expect that? And that's exactly what we see. It's exactly what we see. In fact, there's not a single place in the entire Bible where an individual believes with his family right there, and he's the only one baptized. No, the whole household is baptized. You don't see that too much these days. Um, Can anyone think of the various people baptized in the New Testament? Can anyone give us a list? I know uh, perhaps Pastor Scott could help me with this. I forgot to write it down. But uh, there's there's uh, Lydia right in Antioch. If um, if you'll remember, she believed the Lord opened her. Come on, y'all remember it? Not the Lord. The Spirit opened her heart to receive the things that Paul had been saying, and she believed. And her and her whole and her whole household, Oikos, was baptized. Didn't say anything about their faith. She believed. The Philippian jailer, right? He said, what must we do to be saved? Remember what Paul said, right? Believe on Jesus. The Philippian jailer was, was baptized as a sign of entering into the people of God. And so was his whole family. But listen to Acts chapter 16, verse 33. I'm, this is pretty interesting. This is the Philippian jailer. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. That's the Philippian jailer washing Paul and Silas's wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and all his. Now I say all his because the word family is not in the, in the Greek text. Uh, the word his is not even in the Greek text. It's literally, and all those of him. Uh, the first, one of the earliest translations of the Bible, the Syriac translation from the first century, said, and all his children. Which is a perfectly fine translation because the article, the, is a plural one. Family is singular. Right. Now, I don't, I don't know why the translators did that, um, but I could look at it. The article is plural. It's all those, plural, that are his. So, either way, his whole family, right, or his children, but it's the same thing, either way. Can you think of any others? There's Gaius, there's Stephanus, right? You know, there's two instances in the Bible where an individual is baptized and the family is not baptized. You know what those two were? Paul and the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay? It's the only two. What a coincidence. What a coincidence that when an individual is baptized and his family is there, the only times that in every single situation the family is baptized, except in the one, two situations where the two individuals didn't have families. It's not a coincidence, guys. The only way to make sense of this is through understanding God's introduction of babies into the covenant. That's the only way to make sense of this. 
<clears throat> now, Paul, was pro- Paul, I believe, was married at one point in time because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and that was one of the qualifications. But he wasn't married um, by this time. So whether he was a widower or something, I'm not sure. Um, and so the same thing with the Ethiopian eunuch. You'll, you know what a eunuch is. He didn't have a family either. That's right. So, man, that's what we see. Right? But pastor, there's no explicit command to baptize infants. Yes, there is. All over the Bible. It's everywhere. It's only when you receive the presupposition that the new covenant is for a new set of people that have nothing to do with the old, and you are then looking for proof texts in the new covenant. That's not how to do it, though. You know what else there's no explicit command for? Uh, To attend public worship, to have family prayer, um, to admit women to the Lord's Supper, and to observe Sunday of Sabbath. No explicit command. Where in, the New, where in the New Testament does it say women should be included in the Lord's Supper? <laughs> it nowhere says it. We deduce it because we understand it. Right? The arguments are inferential, and they are cumulative, and it takes time to see. And it's hard to see when we're born in an age where it is under attack, where the family is under attack and God's covenant gospel is under attack. It's very hard to see. And to see it requires paying a price. To see it requires uh, stepping outside of all that you've ever known. It's very hard. It's easier to just out of sight, out of mind. Trust me, I know from experience. You say, but pastor, what good can this do for children? They don't understand it. Well, right? Have you ever thought that? Like, what good, can it, what good can it do for them? What good did circumcision do for them? If, uh, if, if uh, Zach here, who everyone knows is a multimillionaire, if uh, he, not really, <laughs> if he wanted to grant to my children, my infant children, my grandchildren, a million dollar inheritance, he and I would have to go to the lawyer and I'd have to sign some papers, Right? They wouldn't understand what was happening, but it would be for them regardless, right? It would be for them. Right. When Jesus blessed the little children, did it do them any good? Of course, because salvation depends on the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen. So this is why infant baptism was the universal practice of the church since the apostles. And I would be happy to prove that to anyone who would like me to prove it to them. I've read what Tertullian wrote about it, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Thomas Aquinas, Chrysostom, Origen, all the way through. This is the universal practice of the church from the very beginning. The first time that people began to refuse baptism to infants the way Baptists do today was in 1522 in Germany. That's the first historical mention of refusing Baptism to children, the way it's done today. Now, baptism was refused to some people for other reasons. Tertullian said we shouldn't, even though everyone was doing it. He said we should stop baptizing infants because we want to wash away as many sins as possible. You see the problem with that. Tertullian is not like a historic Baptist. He's got some serious confusions, right? (laughs) That's why Constantine wasn't baptized till the very end of his life, because he wanted to make sure that the Holy Spirit water washed away as many sins as possible. 
All right, this is a, we don't take our cues from them. All right, but the fact that Tertullian in 200 is saying we should not delay it is proof that it was happening. Augustine, Origen, many others said that it was taught by the apostles and handed down all the way since. Uh, Nicodemus was circumcised and all of his children were circumcised and he was struggling to understand some things and, uh, and Jesus, you know, tried to help him. But he became a Christian later in life. Oh yeah, he became a Christian. And so everyone who entered into that new assembly was separated from the perverse generation received the sign of that, which was Jesus' baptism. So you have to understand, all baptisms aren't the same. John's baptism wasn't Jesus' baptism. That's why many people who were baptized with John were re-baptized, right? And, and those aren't the same baptisms as the, as the baptism that you received after being cured of leprosy and you re-entered covenant uh, access in the old covenant. There's different baptisms. There, it's a, it was a symbolic sign of, of, of receiving a new status, like, uh, like the word anoint um, or the word purified or, or cleanse, you know, it's you are you once were this now you are this, and so that was a that was a historically symbolic way of of saying you know you're now set apart for this you you now are are set apart for that or consecrated for this and Jesus had his own baptism and he said when you go to the Gentiles you're going to disciple them do you disciple your children I hope so are they disciples Jordan uh, uh, Theodore how old is he do what. Eight months. Do you disciple him? But you do, though, right? Like if, if you told him no, and he was putting his finger toward the light socket. No, he's, he had a fork. He's going towards the light socket. <laughs> oh, I doubt it. I bet he is. <laughs> but you, like, he, he's heard the word no before, right? But has he heard the word no? Yeah, but he better heard the word no. We don't want to have to deal with that monster. Like, you got to say no. When you say no to him, that implies there's a law under which he is submissive. That implies there's a law that you are holding him to. I hope it's God's law. I hope it's Jesus' law. Are you discipling him in Jesus' law? So is he a disciple? He's a disciple. You're discipling him. Jesus said, disciple them and baptize them. That's what he said. Disciple, baptize the nations. Right? And... Uh, you're discipling him, you teach him to pray, he has access, you believe if he prays to Jesus that Jesus hears him, he's not a stranger and cut off from the promises he's in, the, he has access like an Old Testament priest has access. Just as much access as Eli, just as much inheritance as Moses, etc., etc. Man, it's good news, guys. It's good news. <laughs>